red phrase book.
next phrase here. Number 74, thou art worthy. service, take out your red hymnal and uh, open it to number 37, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Our next song, Out of Your Praise Books, number 22. Open our eyes, Lord. appreciate your prayers and your presence and all the gifts that you send our way as we gift you by our presence. It takes many people to try to function in a, a worship service and I'm so appreciative for our, our praise team and those who can lead us in worship and those who make it possible by behind the scene camera. We don't want to pray for those who are not with us today. We're maybe small in numbers, but we're great in quality. And we just want to thank you this morning. We're going to participate in Holy Communion today. And I'm going to be using a book of worship that the um, my home church gave me even before I really went into the ministry. I was pre-med and, you know, I was going to the medical field. And, and they said, well, you probably become a medical, medical missionary or something. And they presented this book of worship, which I've used for 55 years or so. When I was assisting the, the ministers, I assisted. I'd go back home on weekends, and I'd worship not only with my church, the United Methodist Church, but the Lutheran churches, and the Assembly of the God churches. And my church, on a particular Sunday morning, when we were going to have communion, they presented with me, to me this book of worship which has been kind of a sidekick with me throughout all these years of baptisms and, and funerals and communion services that I've had. But as we've welcomed the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit today, we want to pray for those who are in need of prayer. Shall we pray? Father, again, we want to thank those by way of television. We want to welcome the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We... Consider it a great honor and a privilege to come into the homes of those who 
chose to worship with us. We, we pray for Robin Larson this morning who was unable to be with us, our technician and those who filled in. And we, we thank you, Lord, that we can come. We can come and, and worship you. And we're going to be talking today, um, if you want to grab your Bibles, and we're going to be dealing with Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and 31. And Lord, we ask a special blessing on Luke chapter 16, verses 19 31. It gives us kind of a picture. And it, it provides every Christian a problem. Every true gospel Christian, there's a problem. And the problem that we are facing by every true Christian is, is to present old truths oftentimes in a new, attractive way. We thank you for our Sunday school, and we thank you for IRN and those who attend. And, and as we command the attention of those who need those truths by way of television, we thank you for that this is especially true of the subject of hell, the scripture that we're going to deal with. For people who have a natural, we have a natural, our, our fallen nature. Many people, political systems, don't realize that we are fallen individuals. Some forms of psychology tries to suggest to us that, that we acquire this sinfulness through our environment. But no, we acquire sinfulness through our genetics, and it's fostered through our environment. We are all originally sinful. People left, to, left without the checks and balances become more sinful. A person that encounters prison time, oftentimes if they do not experience a true conversion, become more criminal in their behavior. And this is especially true of the subject of hell, for people have a natural distaste for this needed truth. When I first saw the subject of hell in my studies some 60 years ago, I was startled. I said to myself, why, how on earth can, can hell be like heaven? And I at once began to read to see just what was the reason the hell is a lot like heaven. My attention was held as I read the old truths presented in such a way as to fascinate a teacher, a preacher, a true born-again Christian who has gone over these truths thousands, thousands of times. And before I had finished, I concluded that this was indeed a development of needed truths on hell that would cause many to read and, and to be saved. Christians would do well to study hell. It has a message needed in this dark hour. We've lost a sense of sin. We've lost a sense of condemnation. We've lost a sense of a need for a savior to save us from our sin those by way of television, those by way of radio. Communion is, is an opportunity to symbolically represent the, the body of Christ that's broken for us and the blood of Christ that's shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we reenact as these symbols, as we partake of the body and blood of Christ today, there may be those by way of television or radio that, that are shut-ins. They, all they have to do is reach out and let us know and we provide the elements for communion for those who would like to participate. It has a message that's needed in this dark hour. 
And Lord, may we present in such a way as to get results. May God use this scripture today for the salvation of many souls. We ask now a special blessing, O Lord, as we turn to your scripture, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 31, as you continue to pray together and host by way of television and radio can join us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Reading now from the scripture, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Would you stand with me as we read the scripture? Father, we ask a blessing on this scripture. There was a certain person, rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of swords, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover that the dogs came and licked his swords. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, say it with me, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember, thou in thy lifetime receiveth like good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a, a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. May God bless their reading the hearing of the scripture as we stand upon the promises of God. Thank you. You may be seated. This time, Mike, would you continue? Good morning, brothers and sisters. Well, we read in our passage today about a rich man. He was wealthy, and it was kind of obvious, or should have been obvious, he had a purple robe. That was a color that was exclusively meant for royalty and very rich people, because purple dye was so expensive. He also had a gate. This is another thing. To keep the rest of the world out, he had a gain on his property. That again signifies he was a rich person. And that's also why the Lord says it's limited rich people go to heaven. Because they're 
They put their faith and their trust in things on earth, not our Father in heaven. Lying at the gate was poor Lazarus, and he was identified by name in the Lord's parables. He was the only one identified by name in the Lord's parables. The Lord, when he spoke parables, never mentioned anybody's name in particular, except for Lazarus. It's like that the only attention that Lazarus got at the laying at the gate was unfortunately the dog coming like the swords on his body. It's kind of disgusting, but like I said, it's probably the only attention he got because the rich man completely ignored him. Lazarus' condition was directly opposite of the rich man's. When Lazarus fell ill, the rich man did absolutely nothing to help him out and recover. The poor man died with no mention of a burial. It said that angels came and carried him up to Hades. Hades is kind of a, I call it pre-hell. It's where souls went to get the judgment of God delivered to them. When Jesus came, Hades went, went out and hell became real. Hades was a priest Christ's whole hiding place, totally absent of God. From where there was an additional comfort, discomfort for him, he could see Lazarus in the lap of Abraham's bosom, very comfortable. He, of course, in Hades, very uncomfortable. It's interesting now that even knew Hades, he wanted the servant to get him a glass of water. He yelled at him, but of course he couldn't hear him. So he said to Abraham, and Abraham actually followed through, dipped his finger in the, in the water and touched his tongue. An interesting fact in Hades is that a person's earthly experience and emotions were retained, and they also served as a warning. This served as a warning to the Pharisees, all about tradition and culture. That's what people had when, when people go to hell, they're just gone forever. It's torture. But Hades, they actually retained their characteristics of when they were on earth. Abraham answered when he was called, Remind the rich man that he had good things during his life and that the poor man that he was looking at had gotten the opposite. Now the rich man was uncomfortable and could see Lazarus enjoying ultimate comfort in Abraham's bosom. I think that's another window into hell. They can see people but not communicate or go to them. They can see people living luxuriously compared to their hell. That's just another form of, not, well, it's torture, I suppose, when you're in hell and you can see people in heaven and they're enjoying the love of the Lord and singing hymns and they're burning flames. I think that's another aspect of hell that shouldn't be overlooked. But now the rich man was uncomfortable. You can see Lazarus, of course, enjoying the comfort of Abraham's bosom. He asked Abraham to dip his finger in, touch his tongue with it, and he didn't. So again, he, he told Abraham to do it, and Abraham did. It's interesting, like I say, the guy who looked down upon and insulted the poor man, now saw him in luxury, and he wasn't. He was in the exact opposite. How, how ironic. What we should note that is that the, the rich man in Hayes looked up to see Lazarus. He didn't look down, he didn't look around like you would have on earth. He looked up see him. I thought that was interesting too, that he had to look up to Lazarus when he spent his whole life on earth looking down on him. He told Abraham 
when he when Abraham came and gave him the, the water on the tip of his tongue, that he didn't want his brothers to wind up in the same place and to go warn them. Most reply was Moses' reply was brilliant. They have the words, they know what's going on, but if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to me even if I come back from the dead. The purpose of that parable may be for us to realize that what we do here on earth to others and for others has eternal consequences. It only makes sense. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you try your best to live like him and you get rewarded for it in heaven. In like fashion, if you don't have faith in Christ, and the bad things you do on earth and evil things will be rewarded, rewarded you in, in hell. So let's all, let's all just thank God right now and Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm thankful that when you came, you got rid of Hades and, and, and gave us a heaven. Got rid of Hades, give us heaven through one simple act, one simple act, faith in you that what you did on the cross when you were tortured and died, you did for me. You should all say that individually. Lord Jesus Christ, you are absolutely the supreme, I don't even have the right adjectives for it. You are the absolute greatest, supreme, awesome thing ever. When we would praise you, Jesus Christ, for what you created for us, you did away with Hades, that we, as brothers and sisters in faith, can live with you and Father God for all eternity. Thank you, Jesus Christ. In your holy name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Lee. In a way, that reminds me when I grew up in the farm and we had to still bale the hay and milk the cows. Cows were great generators of heat, and we sit down and put my head up in the cow and just kind of milk my hand, and we put up the grain and the bales and that, and it was so hot. And we tried to remember the night before to take old Hylot's jugs and we'd fill them with water and we'd freeze them in the freezer. And we'd have those very close to us. And as they melted, we'd drink the water um, from the old Hylot's jugs. Normally cold, and that's a melt. We can put it up along kind of our faces to kind of keep us cool. Can't tell you how many times I heard the word hell this past week. Many times people referred to hell as what was going on in Hawaii as one island was being torched, and we can't really comprehend them. I have friends that live there, and chaplain friends, good Christian people, and they don't understand how an island could be annihilated. And people were interviewing one another, and they'd say, it was like hell, it looks like hell. Bird flesh and animals, and how people left their buildings and they went to the shore sides and went in the water to escape the flames. And they said, hell. Well, I had already kind of planned on sharing from this portion of scripture to try to have an idea of what I'm going to share, you know, months in advance. But I must confess that the title of my sermon refers only to the first part of my message I have much more to say about the subject than, than the title suggests. When the Bible refers to hell, it talks about those being on the left and not the right, righteous ones. Through life, I've always tried to be on the, the right of things rather than the left of things. Why hell? Why hell is like heaven? 
One of the principles behind hell that is just tremendously uh, difficult to understand is that that I believe hell is like heaven in the first place because it's everlasting. Do we have a grasp of what the word everlasting means? Jesus very plainly taught us in the word of God that hell is an everlasting place. It's a place. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, when speaking about that place called hell, Jesus used words like this in the 41st verse. Then they shall be say also unto them on the left. Say it with me. On the left. And they depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then down in the 46th verse, Jesus says, And these shall go away into everlasting, everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now, I know that there are some people in life, you've met them, and I have met too many of them who will try to get around the idea that hell is everlasting. And they will try to make us believe that someday, when one goes to hell, it's only temporary, it's only for a season. God's Word never talks about a limbo or a purgatory or a burning away of sins. Make us believe that someday, when one goes to hell, they're going to burn up. That's a, a major doctrine of the Jehovah Witnesses, that, that you're totally extinguished and eliminated and terminated and cremated. It's not going to be tormented forever and forever. And I've read after some who say that the Greek word aona, aona, a-e-onion, aonion, from which we get our English word everlasting, they say that the word means age, age lasting. In other words, it's, it's going to last for a certain definite period of time, just a brief period of time. And then it's going to be over with, and that's all there is to it. But there's one thing that seems like they fail to see and to understand, and that is that the same Greek word, aonan, it's like you can say, put an A and an E in front of onion, aonian, is used in, in the 46th verse, where we read the word eternal, and Jesus said, but righteous unto this eternal, eternal life. What I'm saying is that if hell is just to be age, age or time lasting, then heaven is to be just age or time lasting too. Hell is going to be just as long as heaven is according to the word of God. There's a sense of consciousness there. If heaven is just going to be a little while, then we can see that hell is just going to be for a little while. But because my Bible tells me, and my Bible tells me, that the righteous shall go into life eternal. And the same word is used to describe life as it's used to describe hell. I believe that hell is going to be everlasting also. Dr. Raymond Moody wrote a book, Life After Life, after life and, and a number of authors of different books chronicled uh, afterlife experiences of individuals. And in many of the 
instances of life after death testimonies, those who have experienced a hell-like experience have a sense of unconsciousness or forgetfulness because I believe it, it's so damning and so destructive that they can't imagine to repeat those experiences. Many who have had positive experiences of heaven relate to very joyous experience, but those who, who I've encountered and read about cannot even describe the hellish experience that they had experiencing a temporary experience in hell. But what would heaven be like if we were to go there someday, and those of us who are saved, those of us who are born again, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, we do this symbolic ritual of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Holy Eucharist. Someday we get to heaven on the other side and, and just be there just for a few moments, enjoying the bliss and the happiness there. And then all of a sudden, it's all over with and no more heaven. No more heaven for us. No, we believe that heaven is everlasting. It's everlasting, no. I was reading in a book that I moved off my shelves and probably got rid of almost nine-tenths of my books. And I thank Mike and Tina and those who helped in moving those books and getting it in the hands of other people to read. But nearly 90% of my library dealt with books of dealing with Christ in, in our lives. And I was reading in a book, and I tried to open and recall many sermons that I prepared in many of these books. And I was reading in a book that, in my library, about a legend that was seriously held in the Catholic Church for many years, and still is, a legend that was told by Clarence E. McCartney years ago, how that back yonder in the Middle Ages, there was this monk by the name of Brother Thomas. Brother Thomas, and there's uh, many interdisciplinary books and books that are outside the Bible that relate to this experience that were eliminated from, you know, the Word of God that we have today. And this Brother Thomas, he left the monastery one day and he went out for a walk, a walk in the woods. And he went out gathering sticks to bring back to the monastery, kindling, we'd probably say. And while Brother Thomas was out walking around gathering up his sticks, he, he heard the birds. He heard the birds beginning to sing, and, and he was so enchanted, so enchanted and so at peace, and enthralled by the sound coming from their throats that he just lingered on and on, time, to, time did not seem to be any significant thing to him. And finally he went back to the monastery and he knocked at the gate for someone to come and let Brother Thomas in. And finally one of the, the brothers came to the, the gate and said, who are you, who are you? And you and I could ask that question today, who are we? Brother Thomas said, he said, why? I'm, I'm Brother Thomas. He was responded to, but we know no Brother Thomas. We know no Brother Thomas. And there isn't any, any Brother Thomas living in this community of faith today. 
And then this brother Thomas explained how he had gone walking out in the woods gathering sticks and, and he had just come back and he wanted to be let back into the monastery again. And then the brother at the gate said, I now recall that when one of our aged brothers died, many years ago he told us of a certain brother Thomas who had gone out into the woods to gather sticks who had never returned, never returned. And they thought that perhaps he had been devoured by the wolves and their whatever. But when Brother Thomas, enhanced by the singing of the birds, had thought to be just a few moments, just a brief period of time, while he was out there in the woods, really was a hundred years. A hundred years had gone by. Such goes the legend there. Well, my friends, those by television, those by radio, those who are here, my friends in Christ, so will it be with the music and the joys of the heavenly, heavenly life. There will be everlasting joys, everlasting joys. But mind you one thing, if you die unsaved, not discerning the body and blood of Christ, there's a condemnation upon you. You and I need to rightly divide the word of truth. The elements represent his body, which is broken for us, his blood, which is shed for us, and forgiveness of our sins. And if you die without the Lord, if you miss that place that we call heaven, your torment will be everlasting also. Hell is like heaven because it's an ever, ever, everlasting place. When Jonathan Edwards preached that great sermon on sinners, sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards, during the, the premiere time of the Wesley Brothers, he used language there that I wished I could use, but I can't do it. But I can quote a paragraph that he gave in that grand, great sermon of his concerning the everlasting duration of hell. And Jonathan Edwards said, it would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God one moment, but we must suffer it eternally. There will be no end to this horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see only a long, long forever, a boundless, boundless duration before you, which shall swallow up your thoughts. You will know certainly that you must wear out these long ages, millions and millions of ages, in wrestling and conflicting with this almighty merciless vengeance. Because you've spurned and not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And then when you all have been so done when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point, a point to that what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Oh, who can express what the state of the soul, the state of the soul in such circumstances is? And all that we can possibly say about it gives a very feeble, faint representation of it. It's inexpressible and inconceivable. Those were the words of Jonathan Edwards on the subject of everlastingness of hell. I wish that I could preach like Jonathan Edwards did and get those kind of results. 
when he stood up and he talked to the audience that he was talking to that time, there were sinners who fell down. Sinners who fell down in a fainting condition and there, there as they were listening to his message being preached. And as he talked about the horrors of hell on the other side, one preacher reached over and caught a hold of his coat tail and said, Brother, Reverend Edwards, doesn't God have any mercy at all? But Edwards knew that out yonder on the other side of death and out yonder beyond life, we're going to burn forever and forever without God unless we got right with God in this life. Father, this morning as we close, I remember many of the great preachers and teachers of the Bible. One particular individual comes to mind, Reverend Charles Spurgeon, who wrote about this matter of an everlasting hell. And he said that our lost friends are lost forever. We recollect that there is no shadow of hope for them. And when the iron gate of hell is once closed upon them, it shall never be unbarred again to give them free exit. When one shut up without walls of sweltering flame which girdled the fiery gulf, there is no possibility of flight. We recollect that they have forever, stamped upon their chains forever, carved in deep lines of despair upon their hearts. It is the hell of hells that everywhere there lasts forever. Here time wears away our grief and blunts the key knowledge of our soul, but there is time never mitigates the woe. Hell grows more hellish as eternity marches on with its mighty paces. The abyss, the abyss, abyss becomes more dense and fiery. The sufferer is more ghastly and wretched as years there be such sad variety in that fixed state roll their everlasting rounds. And here the sympathy of loving kindred in the midst of suffering or sickness can alleviate our pain, but there, there the tortured ghosts are sport for friends and, and fiends and the mutual upbraidings and reproaches of the fellow sinners, the fresh sins to torment too dread to be endured. Here too, in nature's last call to fail to die may be a, a happy release. A person can count the weary hours till death shall give them rest. But oh, remember there is no death in hell, no death in hell, as there is no death in heaven. If death could go through all that damned would fall down and worship death. Every tongue would sing and every heart would praise. Each cavern then would echo with a shout of triumph. Till all was still and silence rode where terrors reign. But know that terrible reality is this. Jesus said, their worm, worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. My friends, by way of television and radio and YouTube, hell is an everlasting place, as heaven is an everlasting place. And when a person dies and goes there, <clears throat> he's going to be burned forever in hell, according to the pages of God's blessed word. God's blessed word. For hell is like heaven because it is an everlasting place. We ask, Lord, with every head bowed and every eye closed, may we confess, dear Jesus, we thank you for an everlasting heaven. 
We want to escape the everlasting hell. Your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us. Come into our hearts and lives. Prepare us for heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I'd like to have Mike and <clears throat> Gary assist me now in Lord's Supper. If you would grab the elements there. Bring them here and <clears throat> we'll serve. The body of Christ broken. Blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness. Go and serve in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. They who come to me shall not hunger, and they who believe in me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 25. Partake of his body and blood. Go in peace and may the bread of heaven nourish your soul unto everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 10, verse 9. Partake of the body and blood of Christ. And go in peace and in his service may you find perfect freedom. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. They who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will walk and have the light of life. As you partake of his body and his blood, let us read together the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. Everyone to whom much is given, of him will much be required. Of him commit much, they will be demanded the more. May we meet your requirements, Lord, not as reluctant taxpayers, but as joyful participants. Amen. Let us turn to our offertory and Lord speak to me, that I may speak. Written him notes number three.
Now I pray that the grace and the peace and the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit would go forth with us. Grant us the knowledge, the supernatural knowledge of the seriousness of, of the Word of God. Oh, what a wonderful life, and oh, what a wonderful day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let us close with